Dave and I go through our recent photos. There's an update on the merchandise situation. And I recently had the pleasure to interview Joe Bradford, where we talked about her photography as well as her books. All this coming up on the iPhoneography podcast. It's Monday, March 28th, and this is the iPhoneography podcast. My name is Greg McMillan, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host and friend, Dave Podner. Hello, Dave. Hey, Greg. How's it going? It's going not too bad at all. Um, okay, so this show uh, is going to be kind of split into two pieces here because um, we're going to talk about a couple of things, and then we're going to go to an interview that I had with Joe Bradford. Um, she's an author of a couple of books on mobile photography and one on Snapseed, and uh, it's a pretty darn good interview, so um, stay tuned for that. That's coming up here shortly. But first of all, uh, we're going to, you're going to notice a quick change for me, not only in the color of the lights behind me, but with the shirt that I'm wearing. And this is a -a one-of-a-kind shirt because um, it was uh, when I first started our merchandise thing. Um, this is what we're going to do is we're going to give an update on the merchandise. So when I first started with the merchandise, this is the logo that I wanted to use and I submit it. And the company that does the merchandise cafe press won't print it. Now this one snuck through and the coffee mug that Shane Monston got snuck through, but that's it. Um, everything else got shut down because it has the word iPhone in it. And that's the reason they, they wouldn't they won't print it is because the word iPhone, it's part of iPhonography. I can get myself straight here. Um, part of the word iPhonography, even though you can use the word like that for the name of this podcast, the name of the website, iPhonography.ca, um, you know, all this stuff. My my own personal website shot on iPhone only, it has the word iPhone in it. All these things seem to be okay. But the um, company can't print it because if you, and, and I, I had to do this, I had to go look up the, you know, the, the terms and, and copyright stuff and all that stuff on Apple's website about this stuff. And you can't, they can't do it. They're not allowed to. They're not allowed to print something with the word iPhone in it. Same with Mac and all that stuff and, and iPod and iPad, you know, there's, there's a, they're very strict on how those things are used and printing them on merchandise to sell to make money on them is not allowed. So I guess that's why it's okay in a show title um, because it's not being sold to make money. But um, so now there is a new logo, um, a new logo design, and I'm going to pull up the website here and show what this stuff looks like and I'm not happy with the logo, but I don't have much choice. Uh, It's um, uh, rather plain and mundane as far as I'm concerned and try to get this a little bigger. So, you know, there's all different kinds of stuff that you can get here and, and different colors and all that stuff. But as you can see, the logo itself is just, a generic looking phone with a microphone inside it, kind of like the other logo, like the, the one that David Addison come up with for us and, and that I kind of, you know, changed around a little bit and all that stuff. Um, so it's kind of representative of what we do as a iPhoneography podcast, but it's not very clear. Like, you know, if you wore this thing down the street, somebody would, probably wonder what the heck is that? Um, but who knows, maybe it's good for a conversation starter, but, uh, you know, there's, there's the coffee mugs cases for just about any kind of phone. I think any kind of iPhone, um, you got slim, tough, and, uh, I don't know, a couple other different kinds of cases. And then, um, like a beer mug or a drinking glass. So there, there's the logo. There's what it looks like. And, these are what they will probably look like on these products. Um, 
And these, these are in Canadian dollars on this site, but if you go to your, the site in your country, wherever you are, it'll, it'll show there's um, seven or eight different currencies that, that are available. And you can change your currency here. So if I want to look at this in, okay, there's five. So if I wanted to look at this in US dollars, there's the, uh, the prices there in US. So uh, not overly pleased with the fact that I had to change the logo like that, but um, you know, it is what it is. And you know, there's, there's lots of different colors. This is the one I have right here. The, the men's polo golf shirt. And this one particular one is only available in white, but there's other ones that are uh, different, different colors. So you got dark blue, light blue, oh, no, sorry, black, navy, and gray. And then with the women's stuff, there's, there's more colors available. And so it's, you know, it's just something I thought we'd try to, to do to help support the show. And, um, you know, there it is. <laughs> so that's basically the update on it. And, uh, um, again, it's, it, it's too bad. We couldn't get them like this because this is pretty cool, I think. And, it, you know, even the, even the phone here is actually like an iPhone. And I, I have a feeling that probably wouldn't fly either. Even if I try to change too it too close. Like that. Yeah. Too close. You know, but, um, Nah, I don't know. It's 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 a shame that that it has to be this way, but it is what it is. Uh, even like I even thought of getting it done locally here and shipping them out so that I can get this done. It, it would be like a private um, person doing this logo, but Dave, my common sense <laughs> brought to my attention that the shipping costs would be astronomical. And uh, it just wouldn't make sense. So, yeah. uh, you know, we're pretty stuck, pretty well stuck with it the way it is. So that's, a, that's, that's all there is about that. Um, so now we are going to look at some uh, of our recent photos. And Dave, we'll start with you again. Okay. Um, now, I, I numbered them in the order that they were in the message that you sent. Is that all right? No, nope, that's fine. Yep. Okay. All right. So I will share my screen again. And again, uh, audio listeners, um, this is going to be on YouTube this, this, this week's show. So uh, look for it there. And, uh, um, but if you're not on YouTube and you're, and you're just listening, uh, you'll be able to see these pictures on your device, um, hopefully as usual. Um, so this one looks pretty cool, Dave. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, thanks, Rick. Yeah, this one was actually, I was just going on a walk, and there was a track nearby. I wasn't walking down the railroad tracks. I do not suggest because I could tell by the look of these tracks, they are well-maintained, and these are active. Mm -hmm. So I was very careful that there was a good amount of distance. I didn't want a train sneaking up on me and getting too close. Um, so uh, it was just, it was... You know, it's it's as Matt Hoffman called it, uh, stick season still. Yeah. Uh, so, but it was warm enough that we didn't have any snow. So it was just kind of brown and sticky. Mm -hmm. uh, but I put, I, I did a little edit in Polar um, and I used a fringing. So that's kind of the, oh, okay. the separation of color look to it there. Yeah. I wonder how you did yeah. that. Yeah, that so you can you can it's just a slider bar in there, so you can if you really want to mess with 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 your with your eyes, you can really get it off, and it starts to really separate. Yeah, uh, almost to the point of if any of the olds are out there like us, um, if you remember the old 3D glasses with the red and green where they really separated the colors, you can get them pretty close to that. So this is just a little bit. Oh yeah. So it just has that kind of. It, to me, just because of the way it looked and how brown everything was and the sky was real overcast, uh, just gave an old look to it. Mm -hmm. So I did the photo editing itself, like I said, in Polar. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, you got some interesting things going on with this one, too, because you've got leading lines with the track. Mm -hmm. And then you've got you know, basically the rule of thirds with the 
horizon line as as hidden as it is in all the, the in all the shrubs and brushes and stuff yeah. um and uh um you know uh, you could almost say you got that uh oh what do they call that composition thing where you 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 come around like this and then you you, oh you, yeah, uh, like it's a, a spiral composition. Yeah, I, I forget. I can never it's remember it's the name of that thing. Yeah, yeah. But it almost looks like you got that going on because your eyes follow the tracks, and then come up and around to the sky and into the trees, and then follow those hydro lines, and then basically converge on either the pole or on those trees that are in the middle. Right. So right, it, it works good. And uh, oh, thank you. And the um, well, one one last thing on that, or one. Uh, I then I went into because the border and polar are just simple. It's just a simple border and color. But Camera Plus 2 has a lot of border options. So I then threw it in Camera Plus 2 to give it the old-time photograph with the little on on the corners, you know, the Mm -hmm. old-time holders that you would see, like, in an old photo album look to it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the nice thing a, is it nice does treatment. shrink it down. Yeah, it, it just shrinks it down so it doesn't cut off any of the photo. Oh yeah, okay. So that I yeah. think that worked out pretty good that way. And the border suits the concept. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like I said, it, it it is nice what the what you can do in camera plus two with the borders. Uh mm-hmm. they have different borders, they have like film borders, um, some of the older ones. So I, I do use that as a fallback for like borders and some other filters uh it's not my main go-to anymore it used to be uh but it does have some nice touches that i'm i'm sure you can find this other places it's just that i know where it is i know how to use it and i'm comfortable with it yeah yeah well you know that's kind of a handy thing to do is to do it do what you're comfortable with and exactly it makes your workflow not only Mm -hmm. easier but faster exactly yeah cool this one looks wild yeah, this yeah. this this is a polar product. I'm betting. Uh it partially. I'll say this okay. partially. Um, this was at uh, a race I had over the weekend. Um, this is a county park, and this is the boathouse. So on the other side of this is a man-made lake. Oh, okay. Uh, and this is kind of one of the. I, I this uh, this is actually three things I did editing it. Um, first thing, just to the right of the door there. There were some trash cans I used touch retouch to get rid of. Oh, okay. Uh, it's really hard to tell, but it's a, it just looks a little messy there on the bottom right, just to the right of the door. I took it away, but I didn't think it stuck out too much. I think the garbage cans would have stuck out more. Mm-hmm. Um, the sky, because it was overcast and cloudy, it just didn't turn out good. Uh, so I used PS camera to replace the sky. Oh, okay. So, and it it is PS camera is very limited. It's not full blown Photoshop. It is put out by Adobe though. That the PS being Photoshop camera, but it can do sky replacements very very well. Yeah, and it gives you a bunch of options. Now, when that was done, it made it very dark because it's supposed to be a, a night scene. It made it overly dark. So then I threw it in polar to adjust it, lighten it up and make it a little, make it pop a little bit more. So it was kind of a three-step process there. So was it, was it given in like an HDR treatment too? Um, kind of, I would say kind of, um, it's not HD on purpose, but just the, the filter that the PS camera put on to lighten it made it, gave it kind of, to just lighten it up kind of made, gave it that hdr so there wasn't okay. a, a specific i hit hdr it's just the way that it came out for everything to be light enough to see mm-hmm. um made it very hdr like oh yeah also i wanted to emphasize a lot of the texture on the building itself because it is that rough-hued stone the building yeah, itself. Yeah. It's, it's an old building it is a really old building so it has that you know, castle almost look to it. Now those uh, stones that go around, like the, that form the arc at the top and then come down the other side, are mm-hmm. they pointed inwards towards the doors? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It actually okay. is a, not a lot, just a little bit, but yeah, yeah, it's not, they're not flat. 
they're not flat. Yeah. Okay. So it's kind yeah. of the so it's not a figment of my imagination. No, no. Because <laughs> if you look at the very bottom, um, yeah, you, can you can see, see there's the step up there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's a pretty cool building. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's a common could. area for for start and finish places, and that, that's a nice uh, the park. It's it's called very, and of course they get very imaginative with the naming North Park because oh. it's north <laughs> of the city, right? Um, but it has the lake, so you can rent boats and things like that. And there's a five mile trail around the around the lake itself, and oh, yeah. then there's uh, well, it's a trail as in. There's a road around that has a place where you can bike and walk on the edge. Okay. So yeah, it's kind of a trail. It's more of a walking path. But then they do yeah. have trails on the side of the hill, literally on the side of the freaking hill that you can walk up and down to. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. A, it's a nice big area out. in the. It's still in the county, so it's not too far out. And, of course, mm-hmm. we also have in the south part of the county, we have South Park. Again, very imaginative. Yeah. <laughs> but but the thing is, we do have parks to the east and west, and they actually gave them really real names. Like the ones in the one in the west is Settler's Cabin. Oh, yeah. And then and the one in the east is Boyce. So it was actually named after someone. Right. Yeah. So we don't I don't know why this they decide to name two of the four parks and not all four. Eh. Yeah. Pol- pol- politics, probably. But <laughs> yeah, could be. Yeah, well, that's cool. Uh, and now, okay, there we go. Yep. And this, to oh, no now, this last one I just took today, um, just going for a walk. And this was a little on the tricky side because this was trying to use the built in macro capability mm. of the iPhone 13 mm-hmm. Pro. And not only was it a little bit windy, so, of course, things moving around. But just as I was getting close enough to get it in focus, it switched lens. Oh. So I had to back up, go forward, back up, go forward, back, you know, just trying to play with it. And as we were talking beforehand, it was cold here today um, and windy. So here I am hold, trying to hold it up, going back and forth, back and forth, you know, trying to. Luckily, I had gloves that had that were touch sensitive, so I had I was yeah. able to keep my glove on. But it was a bit cold trying to get this photo. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. also why it wasn't as sharp as you see others for macro. Like I said, it was just it was having trouble because outside of the branches and the buds coming out, there really wasn't anything else around that close area. Yeah. So it was just yeah. a, such of a small area to try to focus on. I think it was having trouble with it. And those buds look like they're really trying to bloom. <laughs> yeah, we're uh, like I said. I think I think a lot of people right now in the northeast part are sw- are swinging between frozen snow and really warm temperatures, and then back cold, and at the extreme extreme yeah. swings. To the oh, point yeah. of it's like, okay, hopefully the plants don't start to bloom and then all of a sudden get coated with enough snow to kill them off. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. You know, it, and it's a wonder you didn't get this with actual frost on it or something. You know, that that, that would have been just the icing on the yeah. cake right there for the weather yeah. we're having. Well, we're luckily we're today was below freezing the whole day. Um, overnight's going to be below freezing. Then we're going to be above freezing tomorrow. And I think that hopefully this is it. Cause we're getting near April. We're not normally below oh, freezing yeah. in April. We're not normally below freezing in April. Um, or it's rare. I should say it's rare. Um, yeah. so yeah, it wasn't quite cold enough, long enough for frost. And I think this was taking, which I remember what time it was uh, late afternoon. I know, I'm sorry, late morning, late morning. So right. any frost, I don't think it would have stayed because the sun was coming in and out. It wasn't mm-hmm. completely overcast. So yeah. And also I just like the natural bokeh look too. Yeah. Just took the words out of my mouth. I was just going to comment okay. on that, that. The nice, the nice bokeh in the background. Yep. It's uh, uh, you know, does a nice job of picking that up. So, well, you know, Sooner or later, these things are going to be flowers and you'll be able to get some nice macros of that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. 
Alrighty. Um, okay, so those are Dave's. Now I'll bring mine up. And here we are. So I was out for a walk. Um, and this is only like, this is a week ago, maybe, maybe a week and a half ago. We still had, you know, this kind of snow and it, it we lost it all. And now it looks like this again. And it's just, it's maddening. But anyway, uh, this was at a, uh, uh, near a local, <clears throat> excuse me, a, new, a local favorite waterfall of mine. And I, would, I took the, the dog for a walk through the woods. There's a trail that goes right along this river that leads mm. up to the falls. And um, so that bridge is on the other side, obviously, uh, of the river. And it, it kind of goes up through the woods and whatnot. And that little part that goes under the bridge just goes over into kind of a marshland type of area. Um, so I put my, my reflex 60 millimeter on the telephoto camera and, and took the shot with it and really not much, not much done to the image other than a, a slight vignette and maybe, you know, a little bit of contrast or something, but uh, I was kind of happy with the way the, the phone took the picture as it was. So mm-hmm. um was the wind kicking up a little bit there? Because I'm I'm looking at the water in the foreground. I'm seeing some peaks going on there. Well, the the water was running pretty good. It was rushing pretty okay. good. Um, it, it it was kind of breezy, yeah, not overly windy though. Uh, but I was kind of sheltered in the trees, and just took this through an opening, so I wasn't um, freezing too badly. Right. <laughs> and then this one. Now, <clears throat> Matt Hoffman calls it stick season, you know, this time of year and, and you know, late fall, between the, the fall foliage and the time the snow comes, that's stick season as well. This is snurt season. <laughs> okay. <laughs> snow and dirt. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A friend of mine uh, put a picture on his Flickr um, on his Flickr page, and and it was a uh, you know something like this. It was, or no, sorry, he commented on someone's photo hmm. uh, where they had a picture of a beach, kind of like this, but with just sand and everything else. But it was it was snow covered and dirt everywhere. And he he commented on it that it was snurt, and I had to get a real chuckle out of that. Uh, so, and then he explained that snurt, snurt season is when you have snow and dirt. And <laughs> every time I say it, I almost laugh because it's kind of funny, but it's, it's exactly what it is. It's like snow and dirt. It, it's just mm. a, a dirty time of year. And uh, we call it snurt. <laughs> so th- this was uh, over in a, uh, a little town on the uh, Lake Huron shoreline called Southampton. And right to the right, you'll see that water coming in Um that's that's heading into the river that heads inland there and uh, this is a um like a marker with a flashing red light on it. and i don't know if it was flashing or not but uh you know this is just to let the boats know where mm. where they are type of thing and uh, the rocks going into it so i just thought it was kind of a neat mm-hmm. uh, a neat composition with the snurt and then the the dull sky all, all i did with this is crop it to 16 by 9 okay yeah, I like the um, the curve of the rocks there. It almost yeah. gives you like a feeling for like a hook. Yeah, yeah. And kind of, I don't know, like looking at this just now, I'm thinking kind of a sense of, of depth maybe, um, like mm-hmm. distance that that thing is away. I'm not sure how far away it was, but um, I mean, you could easily walk out to it on these rocks. But okay. I wouldn't want to do it because I'd probably sprain my ankle again. <laughs> So that's uh, that's snurt season. And then this was actually the same day. I just turned to the right a little bit. Um, the The mm-hmm. first one was with my uh, telephoto camera with no lens on it. And this one is with the telephoto camera with uh, the mm-hmm. reflex lens on it because this is a, a fair bit away across the, the river. Um, and I just thought it was interesting how beat up this lighthouse, uh, lighthouse is. Uh, you know, shingles missing. Like it, it mm-hmm. the wind can be very vicious over there at times. Mm-hmm. And I, I imagine that's probably what happened to this place. Cause the last time I saw this lighthouse, 
I don't remember seeing it that beat up. Right. So I'm I'm hoping they uh, um, you know do some repairs to it over the yeah. summer, but. Ooh. It's it's a popular tourist attraction too because a lot yeah. of people take pictures of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because you can see the door right in the door. The door almost looks like one of those emergency uh, hit here for glass doors. Yeah. Because you don't have a scale for oh that is actually you know big enough for a person to get into. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the only the only thing you can see really is there's a ladder by the door. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, other than that, sense of scale is is hard to determine because that railing at the top around the top of the lighthouse, you, you know, you'd almost think maybe that's just waist high, but no, that's probably I'll bet you that's a good six feet high. Right. So, and then of course there's this, there's the snert on the shore over there. <laughs> I imagine that does help, though, because it is not just blinding white snow, too. So the contrast yeah. probably goes down a little bit, having the uh, the dirt mixed in there. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, the picture that my friend commented on when he when he called it snert, it was actually a very nice photo. It was a um, it was a different beach, a different part of the shoreline. And the. The way the, the the sand and the dirt had whisked across the snow, it made you know nice kind of cool looking patterns and stuff. Mm, okay, so it was kind of interesting to you know in an interesting take on this time of year. Uh, you know, so when you, when you think it's so bland and blah, it actually made it look interesting. So yeah, so that's our pictures, and um, <clears throat> we're. Uh, we're not going to have a tip this week. Um, we're going to skip that because, you know, between what we've just done now with talking about the, the merchandise and, and our, our recent photos, um, we're now going to get on to the interview with Joe Bradford. And um, it's about 40 minutes long. And again, this is on YouTube. So um, during the interview, there will be some of her pictures um, playing on the screen and whatnot. And she's going to talk about her books and um, you know, what she's got on the go. And it was just a real treat to talk to her. And uh, unfortunately she's uh, dealing with COVID right now. Um, mm. She was supposed to go to some event re- uh, in the near future here. Oh no, I know what it was. She's going to talk about running. Cause she's, she's another runner, Dave. Oh, and okay. um, she was going to do a marathon and now she can't and oh. it's really upsetting her. So oh, um, no. keep her in your thoughts when, when, when you think about her and, and yeah. I'm sure she'll recover. And, um, uh, but yeah, when, when she gets better, she'll get back into the running again, but uh, no, she's a great gal. And so without further ado, here's the interview. And here I am with Joe Bradford. And uh, this lady here is a best-selling author. Uh, she's won awards with her photography, developed and teached workshops uh, and courses. Uh, she's been interviewed on TV and radio, and some of her images have been used uh, by a long list of well-known clients. Joe, you're a busy lady. How are you, Joe Bradford? I'm really well, thank you. And thanks for that lovely introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I I, uh, I don't know how you have time to eat <laughs> with all the stuff that you have on the go. I uh, I tend to eat at my desk a lot of the time. Um, I spend my spare time training for a marathon. I'm running a marathon in two weeks' time, my fifth one. So I like to think that uh, I uh, spend my time doing lots of different varied things, but photography is definitely my passion. Yeah. Uh, okay, so... We're going to get into some Q&A here. Um, now, as everyone knows, you've been on uh, the Mobiography podcast and you've uh, had an interview with Mike James. So um, we're going to try to get a little uh, fresh content here for the listeners um, and viewers. This one's going to be on YouTube. And um, so I'm going to start with how did you get started with Snapseed? Um, I mean, you've talked about how you got started in photography and all that stuff. But with Snapseed itself, how did you discover it um so when i first started taking pictures with a phone because i come from a digital photography background and an editorial photography background i was always very accustomed to shooting raw photographs and then processing them in 
Photoshop or Affinity Photo or something like that afterwards. And so it was part of my workflow to shoot and then edit. And I would always kind of underexpose the skies and bring out the foregrounds. And so pretty much from the outset of starting to shoot with a phone, I was always interested in what else I could do with the photos. So there was a little period where I would do some of my editing just in Instagram or in um, iPhone's native app because it was just so useful to have it all there and then I stumbled across Snapseed because I saw someone talking about Nick Software and they'd developed it originally and thought it was really interesting to hear the story about how it had been sold to um, Google but on, on the proviso that it was not allowed to be charged for any time and I thought they sounded like good people so I downloaded the app and checked it out and I've literally been in love with it ever since it's such a cool powerful little app. Yeah, it definitely is. And and I've had it since Nick had it. So I had to buy it. Yeah. Uh, it was like $4.99 Canadian, I think. So uh, it definitely is a powerful editing suite for sure. Um, now, you, you mentioned that you use Affinity Photo. Do you integrate your workflows with, you know, between Snapseed and, and Affinity? I do, yeah. So I quite often do a really basic edit with Affinity, uh, sorry, with Snapseed. And the reason why I like to start there is because I have a set workflow in my mind and I always kind of run through the same set of stages of the workflow. Um, sometimes, though, if I'm going to be switching over to working on my iPad, I'll have a tendency to switch back and forth between some things on Snapseed and a few extra things on Affinity. Like um, I like to go to Affinity for it's got really amazing um, noise reduction and little, there's little special parts of it that I just think are, you know, best in class, really. So, but on the whole, most of it can be done quite happily on either my iPhone or my iPad on a Snapseed, and I'll happily walk away feeling like I've done a good edit. And in fact, earlier today, I was looking at some images for a client and thinking, I shouldn't have done these on my desktop. I should have just done them on my phone because it's so much more <laughs> intuitive. And I'm like, I could have got the light better if I just used Snapseed. So there's something about how intuitive it is to use and the way you use your fingertips to work, which is a bit like going back to finger painting, isn't it? As children, we were able to use our hands and our fingers to manipulate things long before we learned to use pens and styluses and mice and mouses and all those things. So yeah. I really... um I feel like it just it, it seamlessly integrates with my photography process. Yeah. Um, so your background, you, you come from a, a you know a, a long time photography background. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you started as a child, I guess, um, if I remember correctly from your interview with Mike James. You went into the dark room, and and you have experience with that. Mm -hmm. Do you ever incorporate any of your dark room techniques? with the digital stuff like dodge and burn. I mean, obviously you've probably done dodging and burning and that, but you know, do you find there's, there's any kind of um, overlap there or like a, a resemblance in your technique with the, uh, you know, between the old darkroom style and, and the digital darkroom? Uh, very much so. Um, so behind me, uh, where I'm pointing to now, I've still got yeah. my two dark rooms, which I work in every week. I still make a lot of work in my colour dark rooms, actually. Um, and I do have a similar workflow. Um, obviously, when I'm shooting on film, I tend to be a lot more careful and try and get everything right in camera. So I wouldn't be doing basic adjustments like I tend to with my phone, like horizon straightening and cropping I'll do most of that stuff in camera but when it gets down to the things like as you said dodging and burning that's very much a skill that I've brought over um, from my darkroom and actually I do that in very very minute detail it's one of the things I spend a lot of time doing in Snapseed to increase the appearance of contrast and um sharpness in my images I'll quite often paint things in by hand in a dodging and burning technique and also I use it a lot in the same way that I would color grade in my darkroom I tend to color grade um, it's, a, it's a thought process that I always think about as well in my um, digital so I think having come from a darkroom background gives you a very important grounding in how photography works but actually even if you've never shot anything except on a phone you can still understand the need for what the picture in front of you has you know if you kind of look at it and think the color's a bit off or this is a bit not right you kind of can see what in your assessment what needs fixing and so um it's always on a bit of a case-by-case -case basis but there are definite similarities between my work processes in the two places yeah i mean if ansel adams was only alive today to to play around with this stuff uh can you imagine imagine what he would do but saying that i have a feeling he probably would not be so inclined to use the digital stuff he would probably stay with the traditional darkroom equipment and um, 
you know, just work his magic like he always did. But mm-hmm. um, uh, so with all the teaching that you do, like you do, uh, you have some courses and you do workshops. Um, is there anything that you're still learning about photography? Like, I know you could always learn about, you know, your students and, and, and their, their um, methods or whatever, but is there anything that you're still learning about photography while you're doing all this uh, teaching and instructing? The, I think the thing that I find um, where I learn the most actually is I, I did on Mondays and Fridays, I work at Falmouth university and I work on the, Um, BA photography which is a specialism in marine and natural history photography and I think the thing that's working with those students has taught me and that I keep learning about is um, storytelling and communication and the kind of ideas not so much about the you know the physical aspects of the technicalities of photography but more about the the kind of um, the aesthetic and the the way it changes. So I think that each generation brings something new to the table and that's the place where there's always plenty of room to learn. And so for me, um, spending time with my third year BA photography students is a, absolutely brilliant to see their interpretations of the way they discuss things like um, environmental issues and wildlife and and the way they integrate photography and filmmaking as well is really really interesting and something that I guess you can do more with when you've got something like an iPhone to hand where you can switch so seamlessly between the two things and obviously places like um, Instagram encourage you to kind of storytell on multiple platforms so you'd be doing some of it in reels and some of it as stills photos and mixing things up together and so I think that that kind of aspect of the way we use media photographic media for communication is probably the the area where I'm still learning the most but occasionally I learn new bits about things like um you know the way they that think the way the style of editing is alters over time as well like everybody's a bit guilty when we first started editing with phone apps everybody over edited everything hideously and everybody made (laughs) all your um hdr was just this thing that was just everywhere and no photo looked normal because the world looked like hdr because of all the photos taken in that style so i think you know as you as you spend time with these apps and you kind of learn how to make your pictures look natural again and how to bring everything back and to remember to not overcook things and keep everything simple that's something that i noticed the uh the younger generations of photographers that i work with are very keen to have images that don't look processed and edited at all and they want things to look very kind of cutting edge and fresh and so that's something else I think there's a lot to learn from working with multiple generations and their photography and then I sometimes teach workshops with you know people octogenarians who've got 40 50 years of photographic experience behind them and I still learn plenty about the 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 way they approach their photography and you know from from that generation as well so I'm very lucky to be able to teach people across the board children as young as seven they bring so much joy to it yeah (laughs) Wow, that's crazy. Um, so let's let's uh, take a, a few minutes here to look at some of your photos. I'll do okay. a screen share here so uh, you and everyone else can see what we're talking about. Um, so I've selected three out of the bunch that you've uh, uh, sent me to, to to look at, and the rest will be going, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a slideshow throughout the the video as we're as we're chatting here. Um, mm-hmm. this one here, I thought was very interesting. It looks like there's so many layers to it. Uh, mm-hmm. can you tell us what, what you've done with this one or tell us a little bit more about it? So I call this one a burst and stack photograph, and it's something I really enjoy doing, which is tracking moving subjects um, with my iPhone on burst mode and just photographing them repeatedly as they move across the scene and then using the double exposure tool inside of Snapseed to keep overlaying multiple layers onto the image. And then sometimes once I've created two or three exposures, I'll flatten that into one image and put it back into the double exposure tool and layer a few more on and then double it up again. So what I'm basically doing is um, capturing all the movement in this case of this young woman on her skateboard. So this is about 15 frames and you can see all the buildings that she's gone past and all the different benches oh, in the park. Wow. And yeah. Yeah. See a monument in the foreground, but the focus is just on her. So just making sure I keep her, the thing that's focused on all the time gives these really unusual ways of just, I don't know, doing something different with the phone. I think it's really good fun to explore and, and, um, you know, kind of make images that don't look as 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 you'd expect. Yeah, it's such an interesting concept, and uh, 
you know, just to be able to think of doing something like this is, is mind blowing to me. Um, you know, what I, what I really see about this is that the eye is drawn to the woman on the skateboard. That's, that's a given, mm. but yet you're still exploring everything in the photo because there is so much there to see, even mm. though, you know, they're, they're, I would, I would look at them as thin layers. Um, but, but you can, there's so much to, to pick out of it. Like, you know, like you say, the monument, the different benches, there's mm-hmm. people on the benches, um, you know, the buildings in the background, the tree, the branches, uh, there, this photo could keep you busy for quite some time. Um, you know, just, <laughs> just you. exploring it with your eyes. Now, was there any other, uh, processing done like, you know, color contrast, all that stuff to this one? Um, yeah, so I've changed the color on it as well. I think um, by the time I'd overlaid all of them, there's a tendency with phones algorithms to always make the grass look really acidy green. Mm, and I yeah. find that when you start stacking images on top of each other, the, the greens can end up looking so bright and so overwhelming that they distract from everything else in the picture. So I always just go through um, with the curves tool and bring this, bring the, the greens down and then... Um, you know, mask out the rest of the picture. So in this case, I've kind of um, played with the green tone a little bit and just reduced it. So because the girl in the picture's got very fair skin, and mm-hmm. I wanted her turquoise dress to be the thing that 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 drew the eye more, and I thought it stood out quite nicely against the brown bench in the background. So I enhanced the warmth of the picture, which took some of the brightness out of the green, but also added lovely warmth to the bench and her hair, and all that lovely um, sandstone, all the old sand stone um, buildings of Bristol in the UK Mm -hmm. that are in the background just to encourage that and I think as well um, when I'm overlaying them I don't always overlay all of the image I'll mask areas out so in this case I've masked a bit of the face out and some of the other images so that you don't get too many faces so I chose one face but let her hair and body appear more times so you kind of mask out each layer is like a thin layer of varnish and you let some bits stay and take some bits out if they're distracting for example, that big tree became could have become too dominant. So you kind of just rub mm. a bit out in each layer. This is one of this image is actually taken from my third book, which will be out in August. And that's a book that's about um, 52 inspirational ideas to take your smartphone photography to the next level, basically. And it's about it's just an ideas book, one for every week of the year that just just push you further. And uh, this is this process is described step by step in that new book. That sounds like a book I will be getting. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. There you go. One sale already. <laughs> yep. Yep, for sure. Uh, because I, I, I find I, I need that inspiration. And, um, you know, sometimes I need those ideas planted in my head. Uh, yeah. And so just one last quick question on this one was the, mm-hmm. the warming that you did. Was it a global adjustment or did you did you pick and choose the areas that you were going to warm up? I did it. I did do it as a global adjustment, but then I masked it out in certain places. So I just went through the places where there were blue or turquoise hues within the picture. So in the sky and within some of the buildings, there were windows that were reflecting blue light back. I just mm. masked those out on the on the um, on the global adjustment on that layer. I just masked out the areas where the blue were, so that didn't those bits didn't change color too much. But apart from that, it's kind of affected the whole image. And it gave it, even though it was a lovely sunny day, it just kind of warmed everything up a bit more. Yeah. Well, it's. it's, I think on the subject of um, color adjustment, it's a really nice way of tying, giving unity to a whole image. And it's often important to think about the entire image and not just the subject matter. And so sometimes that in itself, just adding a global color adjustment at the end, but then masking it, you know, perhaps not having it as dense in some areas as others, just using your masking tool within the the layer on a Snapseed, for example, is a way of um, kind of giving the whole thing an overall polish which ties everything in really nicely and kind of gives, gives um, a better aesthetic, I suppose. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's just, just a, a just a, an amazing image. <laughs> I just can't stop Thank looking you. at it, but we'll have to go <laughs> on to another one. <laughs> now, as yeah. you know, I am a macro fanatic mm-hmm. um, and that's why this one caught my eye. So let's talk about this one. Uh, it's, it's, um, is it a macro shot or is it just a close-up? Um, well, actually it's free lensing. 
have you heard of freelancing before? Freelancing? No, I haven't. <laughs> so this is another one. I'm really, of all the pictures I sent you from across my career so far, you've picked two out of my book that comes out in August. So that's quite oh, fun. It's me the opportunity <laughs> to talk about images that have not been seen in public before. This is the first time either of these two images have ever been shown to anyone except my publisher. So um, this again comes from 52 interesting things you might not have thought you could do with your phone. And what I've done here is, gone around and collected lots of old macro lenses that you can buy in you know um like dollar stores and and um service stations gas stations and places like that you can sometimes buy these really cheap bits of kit to stick on your smartphones i also go through junk shops and um in, um, thrift stores and charity shops and collect whenever I see old lens glass I always buy old lenses even if I don't mm -hmm. have the camera that they fit to and what you can do is you can hold those lenses up against your smartphone lens and basically create images that are kind of like um, that, that kind of like extension tubes so you can focus through the, the 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 lens that you've added, and then focus through that lens on your with your phone, and it gives you these wonderful blurry, buckery backgrounds that you wouldn't normally get, but also gives you the opportunity to get extremely close to subjects in a way that you wouldn't normally with your phone. So I had great fun exploring free lensing, and there's obviously different combinations. So my book describes in great detail and shows loads of examples of um, free lensing where you're using a telephoto lens and a wide angle lens held in front of it and what you're doing is you're just holding it with your hands so you don't want it pressed up against your phone too closely you want it to be kind of loose and give you a bit of um, strange lens distortion and light leaks and all these things because it adds a sort of a an atmosphere and drama and another again just trying to find ways to make photos with phones that don't necessarily look, scream I took this with my phone the algorithm did half the work for me. It's a, bit, a little bit about, you know, putting the creativity back into smartphone photography and, and in that way, freeing people up to, to be artists and creators. That, that, that is a wonderful idea. I never, I, again, I never would have thought to hold up a, 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 a NSLR lens in front of my phone to see what it would see what would happen. Um, oh, <laughs> so do you find the focusing was hard to achieve at all or or was it rather um, easy or? sometimes it was I mean the, the phone will do all the work for you it will try and focus mm -hmm. through so what I would do was lock focus once it had found it so it might hunt sometimes a little bit so I'd lock focus um, it would be more useful to me if I kind of um, found I would either tie the lens that I was holding the free lens to a tripod or I might have the lens free but put my phone on a tripod and that meant that something was stable in the equation because I'm sure as you're probably familiar with macro photography if there's too many things moving when you're looking through lenses like that it can make you really nauseous and car sick or give you mm -hmm. sort of motion sickness can't it yeah so and that can um, be quite headache inducing quite quickly so um Part of this is to not worry too much if, if nothing is sharp or everything's sharp because it's more about kind of going with a feeling and, and something unusual. But, um, yeah, by, by having one thing stable and then locking focus, you can kind of um, move the other thing around, where, whether it be your phone to reframe or move the lens around. And in the book, I describe really carefully how you can figure out which lens is the best lens to work with when you bring, you know, of your camera lenses, when you bring a lens into the equation and kind of talked about the differences between using a 50 mil DSLR lens and a, a macro lens that you've got out of a kit for your smartphone. Mm -hmm. Uh, would you shoot with burst mode? Um, you can shoot with burst mode. I found with burst mode, it was harder to get focus for most of them. So I was more inclined to do it almost going back to like kind of old school film photography where you'd spend your your time getting the shot right and finding the play, finding everything as you wanted it and then pressing the shutter a couple of times. So a lot of these exercises in this book are about slowing the creative process down and making mm. you think more about the images you make. And in doing so, you get this joy of crafting and making images rather than just snatching them out of the ether and being a snap happy kind of photographer. This is about um, this whole book is about encouraging people to just think more about the uh, their process and the way they create and craft their imagery. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's it's a brilliant idea to to, to try this freelancing. Um, now, I wish I'd have kept 
a lens or two from my DSLR kit, <laughs> but I sold it all your, off in 2016. Just get yourself down to a thrift store. The dirtier and dustier and more scratched the lenses, the more effectively <laughs> it'll be. So, yeah, just every time you go past anywhere now that sells junk like that, get inside and pick everything up that you can. Yeah, definitely will. I, I'll, I'll start. I'll start looking. <laughs> this is cool. <laughs> So this one here, I have seen this one before. This is yeah. this isn't a, a spoiler alert for the book or anything. Right. Um, this was when you were in New York City, mm -hmm. and uh, I believe I saw this on an interview you did with one of the local TV stations there. I did. Yeah. So this this is the one where everyone. This is the first time I ever took an image where everyone went. You did not take that on a phone. <laughs> <laughs> And and that seems to be a more common thing nowadays. Like people are starting to realize that these phones are, are really good. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people nowadays are saying, yeah, yeah, I could see that being a phone. But I mean, when, by the, when you took this, how long ago would this have been? This was 2015. Um, okay. And, yeah. No, sorry, 20, early 2016. And yes, at the time, I didn't know anyone that was kind of doing this sort of photography. So um there was slow shutter cam the app was available to use and i was just experimenting with a lot i did a lot of photography before i kind of hit on something that worked for me and these kind of um scenes where with this kind of low light and the uh the the manhattan skyline with all the lights it was just so much more effective than the standard waterfall shots that everybody was doing at the time it just kind mm -hmm. of expanded it out into something else and I was so proud of this. I really wanted this to be the cover of my first book, but um, the publisher was had their heart set on one of my pictures of the national park where I live. So that won the mm. day. But for me, this always should have been the cover of my book. I was so proud of this when I took it. Yeah, it's, it's a great image. Uh, so as far as editing goes, um, mm. did you have to do too much? Because I know Slow Shutter Cam does a great job itself you know uh, it can produce great images without too much work needed to be done yeah all i did here was just increase the contrast ever so slightly because because of the time of night the blacks looked a little bit flat there wasn't mm -hmm. a full black in there so i basically just brought the blacks up ever so slightly using the curves tool and it was a minimal amount you know like one or two degrees really and yeah. that was it i didn't have to change the color it's literally exactly as it came out of the camera and one of the things i love about working like this with slow shutter cam or any of those stacking apps is that you can obviously blow these pictures up huge and there's no issues with noise and the shadows because of the um, the stacking action of all those photos being laid one on top of the other to create this effect of um, a slow shutter speed basically means that everything random is removed from each picture. And because noise is completely random from one frame to the next, it means that all the noise is removed and you can blow these pictures up. I blew one up, you know, like over a meter in size at the photography show um, a few years back and invited I had 300 people in the audience and said, come over and look at this enormous <laughs> print and do some pixel peeping. And no mm -hmm. one could find any, uh, any problems with the quality of it, even when it was blown up really big. So that's another big turning point for smartphones photography is being able to exhibit these works at a large scale and still not have people look at it and go well that's clearly shot on a phone so yeah, yeah. stacking is one of the many ways that you can improve the quality vastly when you work with them so and did you have a tripod with you for this one or did you have to set it on a, a railing I, or anything or i just used one of those um the joby pod you know the joby gorilla pods with a little yep. um bendy legs I just always mm -hmm. have one of those sort of stuck in my hat in the back of my backpack and all I did was get that out and stick it on a rock which is why it's on quite a low perspective here but I kind of wanted it to be quite close to the water anyway so that there was lots of sky being bounced back and forth between the water and you know it gives that kind of nice light area in the, in the in the foreground as well as at the back so yeah just uh, literally just the um gorilla pod and they they come with a professional mm -hmm. tripod head that's got a really it's a pro grip it's called and i've uh used that for years it's just really useful and holds onto my phone really successfully and doesn't let it fall into anything although obviously yeah. <laughs> now that they're waterproof it's less of an issue than it used to be but back then i would have been terrified of losing it but um, yeah, it's uh, this was. Uh, I think I was in New York for ten days 
just walking up and down the streets on my own. I went out there with my phone specifically to shoot all the images for the book. And each day I would start where I'd finished the day before and just crisscross back and forth across Manhattan. I did the whole neighborhood. And at one point I got to the point where I could basically jump on the ferry down near Wall Street and come over to Dumbo and look back at Manhattan and get these photos and grab some pizza and then walk (laughs) get back on the ferry and go back again but I look back at that time of just the freedom of walking around with my phone none of my children were with me I was literally out there on my own no big camera kit for the first time in my life and it was an absolute revelation to have this freedom to take photos in a completely different way to any way that I'd ever traveled and taken pictures before it was brilliant so immediate uh so do you have a favorite photo that you've ever taken um the one that's on my cover of smartphone smart photo editing which is my second book the one that came out in september which i happen to have here <laughs> oh, okay yep possibly one of my all-time favorite photos i've got many i have t- they're all like my babies and it's hard to choose but what i love about that photo is i didn't know that the bird was going to appear when i was taking a picture of the light and i kind of spent my time setting up the shot and playing with the framing and then i noticed a bird in the distance and thought i'll put it on burst mode and see what happens and left burst mode on for about 200 photos and was very lucky <laughs> to be able to get this bird fly across right this is actually taken where i'm sitting now at my desk I'm looking out of the window of my studio and this is just taken from my studio window through the glass. And I kind of, I think maybe that's why it's my favorite because this is the view I look at every day and I'm proud of that picture. It's lovely to be able to look out of my window and see that view all the time. And I'm glad to have finally captured it. Just the one time that's the picture that sums up years of pleasure of looking out of that window. Yeah. uh, I love the story behind the image too, that, uh, you know, with what you had to do with the editing process. Um, not that there was a whole lot as far as, uh, you know, color, contrast, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. but eliminating the poop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ponies. That's the problem about where I live on the moor. There are wild, dark moor ponies all over the place and they leave mess everywhere. So every landscape is always slightly marred by these brown blobs all over the place so I always have to take them away (laughs) yeah now I would have selected that picture to show Mm -hmm. but um you know I I watched uh your interview with Mike James and and you talked about it there so Mm -hmm. um I'll have a link to your interviews with uh with Andy and Mike so that people can go and look at them and and listen to the story behind that photo folks it's really interesting uh, especially the editing process, uh, you know, it kind of made me chuckle a little bit, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't blame you for, for doing it that way for sure. Um, so, okay. Uh, how, how did you get the idea of doing a book about snap, a Snapseed? Um, you know, we talked about how you got in interested in Snapseed, but writing a book about it, like, was it just the, um, the fact that you just wanted to share that with the world or, or what was the thought process behind that? So um, I always thought that I had one book in me and that was the smartphone, smart photography book. And I felt like once that was done, the publisher said, should we do another one? It's been a bestseller. You must have another one. You know, you can't walk away. And I was like, <laughs> I haven't got anything else. I promised that was it. That was my one book. And um, I kind of walked away from it thinking I couldn't do any more. And then um, I started working with the Royal Photographic Society, making, uh, I, I do full day workshops where I kind of do the content of my first book, smartphones smart photography as a as a full day workshop um, with students and they kind of do bits out of the book and then they do practical exercises and everyone kept saying how come there's only three pages in the back where you talk about editing your photos why why aren't, aren't there more case studies and so over time, the Royal Photographic Society basically bent my arm repeatedly to develop an editing workshop that went hand in hand with my photography one because the demand was there. And after a couple of years of delivering that workshop and it being a bestseller, you know, that one it sells out faster than they can list it. And so I kind of run it once every two months now. I don't want to do it more often than that. But um, every time it goes on, it's there's like a waiting list. And so when lockdown started, my publisher said, you know, you've got less work to do now. It's a bit of a quiet time. Have you thought about anything else you might like to do as a book? And I just thought, you know, I could, as my first book was a photography textbook, I could maybe do the textbook that goes as its companion, the editing one. And because I always taught the first workshop on Snapseed because it means everyone can use it. doesn't matter what device you're using or what tablet you're using. Everyone can access Snapseed. And I like that kind of 
democratization of the software. You don't have to have money or expensive fancy kit to use Snapseed. It's, everybody can do it and I'm not leaving anyone out. And that's what I kind of felt like if I was going to do a, um, a thing on software, although I use lots of different software um, apps and programs, that was the one that felt like it would have the most reach and be able to give the most people an opportunity to make change. But also I think... Um, once I started just make, writing down what my workshop was and taking all my workshop notes and, and looking at it, I realized that it did actually make quite a good book. And it's a very different book to all the other books I've done because there's a lot of screenshots and kind of step-by-step -step instructions in a way that's much less creative than anything else I've done. But everyone who comes on my workshops always has a copy of that book and they always love kind of following along and the two kind of go hand in hand. And I'm, I'm really glad I made it. I'm proud of that book because it kind of, it completes the circle that started with my showing you how to take photos with your phone it felt like it, it was wrong to just not really spend as much time on the editing and I always thought if Ansel Adams could write a book on the negative and the camera and the print then I could probably get my second book out and kind of go there you know you don't have a negative these days but negative and print combined these days would be something like um you know what Snapseed can do I was also very wary about um making a book with software in it because software changes so rapidly but actually on the whole Snapseed is pretty stable it doesn't have loads of changes all the time because it's already so well thought out and the things it does it does so brilliantly that I wasn't worried that a year down the line it would be irrelevant because by writing the book as a workflow as well it, it kind of part the book is a, it does show you all the steps um, of how to do things and how like a professional photographer might, you know, approach editing a photo. So there's that whole aspect of it, as well as the technical, this is how you actually do it. And what I find a lot of people come to me asking is, what's the best workflow or how should I, you know, where do I start and what steps do I take? And so it was nice to be able to put that all down in a book as well. Yeah, that's something that it, it really, you have to be careful about when you're writing a book about this stuff is because the technology changes so much, like even mm -hmm. phone to phone, right? Like year over year, whether Sweet. it's an Android phone or a, an iPhone. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but Snapseed, like you say, they've done a great job at keeping their app consistent over mm -hmm. the years. And I think it's probably the most popular editing app for phones because it's mm -hmm. free it has so much stuff in it. You can use it quite simply, or you can deep dive into it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just a wonderful tool. Um, mm -hmm. So let's see here. Uh, well, I think that was all the questions I have about the, mm -hmm. uh, the uh, you know, life and career of Joe, Joe Bradford. <laughs> but um, so, okay. So when did this latest book come out then? So um, the smartphone, smart photo editing book came out in December in Europe and January around the rest of the world. Um, and it's been doing quite well, actually. The, pair, the sales are still consistent on the first book and now that one's slotted in next to it. So in the UK, they're both still um, regularly inside the top 10 bestsellers in the digital photography category, which makes me really proud that, you know, the smartphone community is represented in the wider digital photography world. And that will be the thing that I'll always get to, you know, be proud of is that mine was the first bestseller in the digital photography category <laughs> that literally just talked about phones. They can't take yeah. that away from me that's mine I'm keeping it yeah that's good um yeah so that one came out in December but I kind of wrote the book that we've talked about today the next one which is called um smart photo 52 ideas you know that I told you about the 52 ideas to kind of make your photography more creative and and mm -hmm. just you know ideas to do something different with your phone that one um I wrote for a different publisher almost back to back and that one is actually due for release in August all over the world so I'm very excited about that one and that's being translated into other languages as well and uh, oh, you know nice. yeah nice. it's it's really exciting I'm very much looking forward to seeing all the work people make with all the ideas I've given them in the third book. So that's already available to pre-order on Amazon and in all the bookstores already, even though it's not out. Oh, really? So that's, yeah. Quite exciting. Yeah. Well, congratulations on the first two and, uh, you know, you. the best luck on the next one. Um, <laughs> you know, congratulations on your, basically your career because you've really exploded in the, uh, you know, in the smartphone space with the uh, you know with workshops and, and all that stuff i mean everything that you've done it's almost like everything you touch turns to gold <laughs> and, and that's it's a, a lot good of hard thing. work uh, 
A lot of hard yeah. work and sleepless nights, but I feel like for years it didn't feel like I, whether it was a, a brilliant idea to, to, to stick so hard to the smartphone photography, but I really believed that it would have its moments. And now I'm really glad that I kind of put put those years of work in at the beginning. And I'm, I'll never regret making that first book because I've met so many wonderful people like yourself through this community. And, you know, it's just a great opportunity to connect with people on a different level that isn't about how expensive is your kit and how big is your lens. and yeah. Yeah. You know, how long yeah. have you been in photography? None of that stuff matters in the smartphone community. We're a different breed of photography photographer. And I feel like it's completely democratized the way image making is undertaken. And it's changed the way people access photography, both as a viewer and as a creator. And I think for all those reasons, we're very lucky to live in a time where we have access to such simple image making um, skills and techniques and kit. We're very lucky. Yeah. Yeah, I've talked about the community aspect of smartphone photography a, a few different mm-hmm. times on my show, and uh, you know, it's 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 the best group of people that I could ever imagine being involved with. You know, there's never any um, trash talking and all that stuff. You don't. You know, it's just everybody's so kind and 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 just wonderful to communicate with, and and I would just love to see a massive conference somewhere in the world that everybody could attend. <laughs> <laughs> mm. it would be it would be so much fun but well thank you joe for talking today uh it's been uh absolutely wonderful uh and a complete pleasure to to hear your story and and all that stuff and uh uh, I thought when the next one comes out, we'll have to have you back. <laughs> I would love to come back and tell you a few more stories from there's 52 to pick from, from that book. So I think I can tell you a few yeah, more. Yeah, but I just definitely. wanted to say thank you so much for having me. I've had a great time. I've really enjoyed talking to you and thank you for sharing your, um, your audience with me today. It's very lovely. Well, I think this, uh, this video on, on the YouTube channel is going to be a hit. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. So tell, tell everybody where they could find you then. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at Green Island Studios and you can find my books in bookstores all over the world. So uh, you can walk into bookshops on the street and you can buy them on um, online and you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Green Island Art on Twitter and on Green Island Studios on Facebook. And I've got a website, which is greenislandstudios.co.uk. And I would like to say to everybody, if you're out there taking smartphone photography pictures, I want to see them. I'm putting together a project at the moment where I'm looking at what the best people in the world doing smartphone photography are doing. And I'm really, really interested to hear from people if they're out there using their smartphones and recording their daily lives. And uh, so if you are and you're on Instagram or Facebook or anything, please tag me in your posts so I can have a look at what you're all doing. Oh, very cool. So we'll we'll have links to all those places in the show notes where everybody can just snap and find you and uh uh, you know, again, thanks for, for the, the time and the wonderful chat. And we'll definitely get you on when the next one comes out. Brilliant. Thank you very much for having me. And that was the interview with Joe Bradford. I hope you enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, she's a, a great gal. Um, so super busy. She's got an assistant. She's that busy. And, um, uh, what can I say? I'm looking forward to this book she has coming out in the future here. I'm not sure when it's coming out. Uh, I did that interview about a week and a half ago. So if it was in the interview, my mush of a melon can't remember what she said. <laughs> but uh, anyway, well, Dave, we'll call it a day at that. And um, good. tell everybody where they could find you. Sure. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter as ProfPod and find me on um uh, TikTok as ProfPodPGH. All righty. And those are all in the show notes. And uh, you can find me on Instagram at Macmillan Photo, Twitter, Macmillan underscore photo. And um, I guess uh, all my other links you can find at about.me slash Macmillan. So thanks everybody for joining us and uh, hope you enjoyed this video version for a change. And this is, this is when we'll do the videos when we have like a, an interview or something like that to show and uh, be a little more interesting, I think, than, uh, you know, just two talking heads. <laughs> so uh, thanks again, Dave. Good talk. And uh, we'll see you all on the next one. Have a great one, everyone.